0: So let's start today um, with a science experiment. We don't have an actual science experiment. It would have to be a, a thought experiment. Yeah, health and safety probably. Well, we're already blocking the fire door, so that's not a good thing. Um, so let's, uh, so we, we have a fake science experiment. We have a bucket full of water. Fill it up to the very top. And let's make it a big bucket, like a baptismal pool or something like that. Um, it's a very religious way to describe a big bucket. Um, but something like this big, a big gallon of stuff. Uh, but it's filled with water. And uh, you, uh, you, so, so it's filled with water. Uh, and to prepare yourself, um, because of health and safety, you have goggles on, you could have a lab coat on. You're a scientist, and as Joe would know, she wears lab coats and goggles all the time. Um, I, in my head, that's, that's her job. Uh, and so you're there, you're a sci- and you're there to record the observations. So you have a feather in your hand, and you're dangling this feather over the water, and you're afraid of splashback. You've you got your stuff on, though. Maybe you need like an apron, like a, a, like a I don't know, leather apron or something. Um, And you're dangling this little feather over the water, but because you're a brave scientist, you're not gonna like drop it and run away. You have to record the observations. So you're there right next to the water and you drop it and you're, nothing happens. All right, so you write this down in your book. That's good, because in your science book, whatever that means. Um, So the feather is wet now, maybe it's at the bottom. So okay, that's interesting, record those observations. Now you take something, uh, you take a billiards ball and you're like, hmm, it's more dense. It's heavier. You record this as well in your science book, whatever scientists do. And uh, you hold that above and you drop it. And now, thank God you had the goggles and the apron and, or whatever the thing is, because now there is a splashback and you're actually wet. And, but you're there because you're a brave scientist and you record the observations. Now you've seen one thing actually affects the water. Another thing, it doesn't even matter with the water. The feather, you could have dropped it, you could have dropped probably 20 feathers. The water didn't care, there were no ripples. That billiards ball, you drop it in, there's a splash, the ripples are going outward. One is more dense than another. One has more weight than another. One is more substantive than another. And you write this all down in your book as a good scientist. And you go back and feed it back to whatever grant that you wrote to get that kind of uh, science experiment down. Um, now, that is not a very surprising uh, science experiment. That's something I would do with Colin. He's poor. Um, but for us who are grownups, we're like, of course, like the feather doesn't make any ripple on the, on the water. Like we shouldn't expect it to. Of course, the billiards ball is going to make a bigger difference. Like that, that, that's normal. It's what we should expect. A feather and a billiard ball are going to have noticeably different effects. One has weight, the other doesn't. One is, one is uh, dense, the other isn't. To the water, the feather doesn't matter. But the billiard ball, water like, matter, it matters a lot to the water. It changes it. It affects everything it comes in contact with. That little dumb little experiment (laughs) is supposed to be talking about what does substance mean? What is a life of substance? What does it look like? How can we have it? Because living like a feather is not substantive. Living like the billiards ball is. It's good for us, I think, to, um, to hear a message of what does substance look like, because by ourselves, we can't help but be like that feather. We can't help but not affect the world around us. We can't help but not really have a substance to ourselves, by ourselves, we're weak. Full stop. Like that's it. We talked about that last week a bit. We don't have what it takes. In work, we're either lazy or we're workaholics. Like that's not good. In our relationships, we can't help but make it about us and what we need. Uh, we, we know surely our kids deserve better than our parenting skills, whatever they are. We know we're not we're not the best at it. We aren't strong enough to affect change in ourselves, let alone other people. And there are other people we actually really really care about. We want to see them grow. Like, we don't have that power in ourselves. How can we love other people well, knowing the full well that we're weak? The good news is that through Jesus, we're still weak, but without the full stop. We have a different punctuation. We have an ellipsis, you know, the dot, dot, dot. Like, we're weak, not full stop, we're weak, dot, dot, dot. But through Jesus, we can be something substantive. Jesus can empower us to a life of substance. Through the Holy Spirit that Jesus has actually sent into our lives, even in our weakness, we can live lives of substance. And so we're gonna look, about, look at what this life of uh, substance looks like, and then we'll see how we get there. Um, because this is kind of a crazy story. This is, I mean, we're gonna talk a little bit of, of how disjointed this story is. I mean, none of us have been jailed by religious authorities because we're talking about Jesus instead of talking about some other faith. That's not our experience. That happens in other parts of the world. It doesn't happen in Tarleton. Um so uh, we'll, look, we'll talk about the disconnect here. But first, let's talk about a little bit of uh, what, what, what does substance look like for Peter and John? Because we can say all sorts of things about them. One thing you can't say is, man, they are really lacking a life of meaning. That's not what you, that's not what you think. Like, wow, there's, like, there's a lot of meaning going on. There's a lot of substance in their lives. So let's look, about, look at what the substance looks like in their life. Um, this scene uh, where Peter and John... Um, is talking is not just about uh, Jesus' resurrection, but about how all of us can experience the resurrection through Jesus. And they're talking to all the people, so kind of stirring up the crowds, saying all everybody can experience the resurrection of Jesus. Apparently, it's just as controversial then as it is now, because those who are in power do not like it. They get thrown in jail. Now that didn't stop God from moving His church, because now there's five thousand people in this church last we heard it was 3,000 now there's 5,000 what in the world people are getting thrown in jail but the church is advancing if I'm thrown in jail you'd be like that's it it's done if like you know if some of our leaders get thrown in jail like Redeemer is not going to be a thing anymore but not so um, if God's behind it God does what he wants to do but Peter and John find themselves in jail which isn't the best ministry post like I don't know of anyone trolling ministry websites looking for hmm how can I get thrown in prison as quickly oh this is a good one and how much does it pay? nothing cool sign me up like it's just not a normal thing But then again, Peter and John and all these in the stories of Acts, they lived a life of substance. They did not want for meaning. And also they didn't require their circumstances to give them meaning, because they're in prison. That's pretty bad. So we're gonna look at those things. Peter and John do four things. They speak, they act, they endure, and they join. Speak, act, endure, and join. We're gonna look at these four things, how it plays out in this story here. First thing is they speak the gospel. When they're questioned in jail, like they're there with people who have all the authority. When they're there in prison, Peter doesn't really answer that question. You see that? They're asking him questions. Peter doesn't bother really answering it. He kind of goes off and does what he believes God has called him to do. They want answers. Peter uses that platform to preach. I don't know about you, but if someone is in authority and is gonna put me in jail or I'm in jail already and they're like, hey, are you innocent or not? I'm gonna use those words to tell them how innocent I am and how I should not be in jail. But that's not what Peter does. And when the FBI was accusing me of a crime I didn't commit, I did not use that as an opportunity to be like, you know what? Have you thought about Jesus? Like that's just It was like, no, I'm not guilty. Please get me out of here. That was my only thought. I wasn't really thinking about anything else because I was so scared. But Peter is laser focused on what God really wants him to do. But more importantly, look at verse 8. Then Peter, before he speaks, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them It's not that Peter is courageous. We know Peter's kind of dumb. He speaks too quickly all the time, cuts people's ears off. He's not the smartest guy, he's not the best leader. But here in verse 8, he's filled with the Spirit, and that allows him to act a little bit differently. Being filled with the Spirit gives you the supernatural ability to speak the gospel even when it's difficult. If Peter can do that in prison and in jail, surely we can do that despite the awkwardness that might come up if we bring Jesus up. And before like, we move on, um, what exactly is the message that Peter is risking life and limb for? Peter, I mean, basically probably expects to either be jailed for the rest of his life or executed or, or whatever. He's not saying, if I say this, God's gonna let me out. That's, that's definitely not what we get here. So this message must be really important if he's gonna risk his well-being for it. I think the crux of his message comes in verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Salvation is a rescue. Like that's what it is. This is what Peter has experienced himself, what he wants other people to experience. It's a relief. It's what saves us from everything that is broken in this world. And Jesus is the only one who can give you the rest, give us the rescue that we need. Some look to jobs, to paychecks, to a good family life, to a good partner, to doing good things, to religion. Some also look to alcohol to numbing ourselves from this world through entertainment, through materialism, to taking what we want when we want it, using other people for our own good. You know, some of these are good things. Some of them aren't, thing, aren't good. None of them will save us. They're all the same in this way. None of those things, whether they're good or not, none of those things, none of those things will save us. None of them has the power to rescue us from our brokenness. Salvation is found in no one else and no other place. So all of us are going to die. And when we're dead, how's that good life gonna save you? It's not. How is a good partner going to help you? Only through Jesus can we experience new life in this broken world now. Only through Jesus can we say death is not the end. Nothing else allows that to be true. And that is the message that Peter is risking himself for. It matters a lot, to, it matters beyond everything for Peter. And that's why he spoke it. That's why he saw it's more important than a circumstance, more important than whatever else could be done to him by the rulers and the authorities of the people. So he spoke uh, the gospel. Um, Substance also looks like uh, acting with courage. They acted with courage. Peter and John seem to have exceptional courage in this story. They see the way things are, probably in some ways know that the religious leaders are not gonna let them get away with this but in a holy rebellion, they act anyway. They act against that status quo anyway. They're going against the grain here. They know they're gonna get in trouble for it. There's no kind of question. Following Jesus means you're going to suffer sometimes, and they know this. And again, though, instead of focusing on the circumstance, Peter and John use the circumstance to talk about Jesus. They could have focused their prayers on getting released. That's a good thing to pray for. It's not a bad thing to pray for. They could have focused their prayers on um, being delivered. They could have focused their prayers on all sorts of things. Uh, not getting flogged, maybe, not getting executed. If flogging is on the table, I'm gonna pray to not get flogged. Like, it's okay. By the way, it's okay to pray to not get flogged if it's a possibility. But they're focused on something else. They have a courage beyond themselves to rebel against the status quo, and that's a life of substance. It's risky. What do they say in verse 19? And this is the thing, when you're talking to a religious person, they know how to talk to religious people. They say, well, religious leaders, what's right in, in, what's right here? What's right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to God? You be the judges. I'll put it out for you. What should we be doing? As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we heard and what we saw. They can't help it. It's like a compulsion because they're different people. They're speaking truth to power. Ultimately, here's what's going on. And where did this courage come from? Later on, the leaders realized it came from being with Jesus. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Here's that takeaway first. We aren't rewarded for courage in ourselves. God does not expect you to be courageous in yourself. All the idea of like, well, I'm not good enough. Like the, that, that's the point. There's no part in here that says you have to be good enough. That is a lie, either from yourself or from Satan. And that lie can go back to hell from where it came. That is not, there's no part of this. You should be good enough. We hear that all the time though in our hearts. We should be good enough. I'm not good enough. Therefore, I'm not gonna do that thing. It's a lie. It stops us from being the people who are really created to be. We're not rewarded for courage in ourselves. It never happens in the Bible. It's not something we have to work up for in order for the Father to be pleased with us. Like if only, uh, if, if only Mike was courageous enough to do this thing, then I, the Father, would totally bestow my love upon him. Like that's just not true. Courage is the Spirit's gift to us. When we're filled with the Spirit, we get his courage. We get a courage from God, not from ourselves. And that allows us to be courageous in our lives. And we may not be up against the religious leaders, but just because we're up against things that are less doesn't make them less real. Like I don't wanna like, explain away the difficulties of living out our faith in, this, in our lives because it's different than this. Like Social awkwardness is a real thing. We, let's, let's be honest about it. Like, uh, or not feeling like we're good enough or, or all the anxieties that we have or you're being cut off from friends or, or being mocked by friends. Those are real. Only being filled by the Spirit will give us a courage to be able to endure through that and to have a life of substance through that. Speaking of enduring, um, the next one is they endure hostility. A life of substance is one that endures hostility. Sacrifice does not make sense in a world designed for comfort. I love comfort. Everything else in my life is organized. The world is organized so that we will always have the most comfort possible. Like that's kind of how the world is set up and where areas where there is discomfort or is, there is pain, like just wait a, a year or something and there'll be some kind of startup to help relieve you of that pain. I just saw an advert as we were waiting outside you know, for the half hour or so on, on the side of a bus of um, delivering. It was a picture of a Subway sandwich and a bed for Uber Eats and Subway. It's like, you don't even have to get out of bed. Like, how comfortable is that? They just deliver, the, hopefully this isn't true, but they just deliver it right to your bed. You just like sideways, uh, just like you don't even have to move your hands. You just deliver it right in. This world is made for our comfort. And so like the question of sacrifice, those are muscles we don't work very often. So we're really kind of flabby in those areas. Sacrifice is something that's difficult for us. Our world is set to deliver the opposite. So why would we chase sacrifice? That doesn't make sense. Definitely does not make sense if, if comfort is our goal. It doesn't make any sense at all. But comfort will never deliver the substance that we crave. We'll always be feel like we're missing out on meaning if we're, de- if we're going after comfort. Comfort cannot give us that. We're not... We're, In some ways, we are made for comfort, but it's not the ultimate thing we're made for. We're made for something more. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. knew this, who was fighting injustice, fighting a better world for all human beings, had this um, uh, amazing quote, as he does, a man who won't die for something is not fit to live. A man who won't die for something is not fit to live. Only when we have something worth dying for do we know what it is to live. That's a life of substance, and sacrifice and substance will always be connected. If we never sacrifice, we will never experience that substance kind of li- the substantive kind of life. And being filled with the spirit allows us to endure hostility, not just in a moment, but over a lifetime. Remember, this is not something we have to work up ourselves. This isn't a, a, a self-help kind of talk. Another important thing, by the way, to mention here is when we feel like people are set against us because of our faith, and, and we will, that will happen in our lives. They're actually not set against us. When, when Peter and John get released and they are kind of trying to make sense of what in the world just happened, they take themselves to the Psalms and the Psalm that's quoted there. And what, what does Psalm 2 tell us about, about people who are against us or people who are hostile? It basically it says that they're not actually set against us. They're set against the Lord. And everyone who follows in the way of Jesus and the way of the Lord, we're gonna experience a hostility, but they're not actually set against us. If we align ourselves with Jesus, we are gonna experience hostility, but it's not against us that people are. We're fighting, it's a different kind of fight. It's not against physical flesh. It's against the spiritual world. And so we're going to have to endure hostility. Um, lastly, what uh, a life of substance is one that gets to join God's mission in pushing back the darkness. Verse 29 uh, says this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So this is not Peter's mission. This is not John's mission. This is not the church at Jerusalem's mission. This is not the, the, I mean, the book is called The Acts of the Apostles, but how do these apostles do any of these acts? Through the Holy Spirit. This is God's mission. God's mission is the one that's going on here and they're joining it. This is nothing less than joining God's mission in a broken world. And Jesus is stretching out his hand to heal what's broken, to heal what's backward, to heal with everything that's been left in the dark. I mean, our mission statement as a church is joining God to bring wholeness to Manchester. Like, we're not, I would love to see Redeemer grow. I would love to see Redeemer plant more churches, but that's not like the ultimate mission we're a part of. We're joining God in what he's doing in all of Manchester. We're a very small part of that, but an important part because God has us here. Now, all of this, I mean, All those things, this story, it's a little bit intense, isn't it? (laughs) A lot of stuff's going on here. We don't live in this kind of world right here in Acts. Our context is different, but we're still called to live a life of substance. And it should look different for us because we are in a different place. We're in a different time. If we were the church living in, in some place in America, we would look very different. If we were the church living in a different part of Manchester, we would look very different. But what does this mean for us, really? Like what does this story mean for us? If it could be condensed down uh, to a pithy phrase, it would be being filled less with ourselves and being filled more with the Spirit. That's what's going on in this story here, and that's the story of Acts, really. Being filled less with ourselves and being filled more with the Spirit. It means we should speak the gospel with others when it's difficult. We refrain from that because we're afraid, and I get it. No one wants to be awkward. I don't want to be awkward. I'm already awkward enough. Don't want to add like the gospel to it. But a life that seeks to not rock the boat is not a life of substance. So where are we with this? It might be difficult for you to bring up the gospel um, with other believers at the moment. Like maybe like the idea of talking about Jesus with someone who's not a Christian is like so far removed. It might just be like talking about Jesus with someone who's already a Christian is difficult enough for you. That's fine. That's okay. Like we don't have to have like massive giant steps and giant leaps. God works in very kind of small incremental ways. Now, or maybe it is that kind of one sentence thing to a work colleague or friend that you feel like God's really kind of laid on your heart for them. Now, when we, as believers here, uh, are moaning to each other about our jobs, about our families, where are we speaking the gospel into that? Where, if, if, we're, if we're not doing it within people who already are on the same boat with us, it's going to be really, really difficult, if not impossible, to do that with others who don't yet believe the same things. When we're moaning about, like you know, our partners or our families or our kids' tantrums or. Um, where is Jesus and how are we speaking the good news that Jesus has, has come to heal all things in that? Because he has. Nothing is too small for him. Are we fluent in the gospel or does it feel like a foreign language and we should be fully immersed in it? Relying on the spirit is how we move past our own difficulties, wherever they might be. And we all have different Difficulties. We're all in different spots together. But relying on the Spirit is how we move on to that next small little step. And it may not seem extravagant like Peter and John. That's fine. You're not Peter. You're not John. God didn't call you to be Peter. He called you to be who you are. God is not gonna be sad that you didn't end up being like Peter. God's gonna be sad you didn't end up being like who he's called you to be. He wants you to be like you. And for you to be the most yourself, it means joining God in his mission. Ironically, it's just like emptying of ourselves and asking more of God to come in. We will rebel against the status quo when that happens. That means sometimes we're going to transgress what is socially acceptable to talk about. All of what I'm describing is the difference between being filled with ourselves and being filled with the Spirit. So being filled with yourself can look like pride. It can very easily much look like pride. Being filled with yourself can also look like shame. Because if we're only filled with ourselves, we're either prideful or shameful about it. And both of those things keep us away from where God really wants us to be. Neither of which aligns with the way of Jesus. If we're only filled, only if we're filled with the spirit, will we human beings be fully alive the way we were meant to be with substance, with that density of the billiards ball instead of the feather floating on top of the water need to be less filled with ourselves and filled more with the Spirit. And the more we're filled with the Spirit, with our attention focused on God, living from who we are in Him, the more our lives will have a substance to them. Now, maybe this sounds great, and maybe like, this sounds ridiculous and crazy. Either way, if we just leave it there, end the sermon, that means, all right, now figure out how to try harder, basically, is how we, I just said, you you should not feel like you have to be good. Like, yeah, I get it. But tell me, how can I be good? Like it's kind of like, that's not something we really get. We're always wondering, how can I actually make myself better? Um, which is totally not what discipleship in Jesus looks like. So let's talk about how do we get there? Um, how can we have be, live lives of substance? What does the path to substance look like? Because this is the way of Jesus. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Thankfully, it's not through schooling alone. It's not through being extraordinary. Because in verse 13 um, that we kind of referenced earlier, when they, these are the leaders who were, harassing Peter and John. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. All right, yay for all us unschooled, ordinary people. And they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's the difference. They've been with Jesus. That's the thing that sets us apart. Not how smart we are, not how passionate we are, not how well-gifted we are, not how whatever the thing is. So what does this mean for us who have not had the experience of actually walking with Jesus on earth pre and post resurrection. Well, if you've been around Redeemer for any length of time, none of this is gonna be new and none of it is novel, but none of this is easy. (laughs) What we see in here is nothing less than prayer, the word, community, and action. It's kind of like the normal stuff of what it means to be a Christian. So let's talk uh, about some of these. First, prayer, there we are. Uh, After Peter and John are released and get back to the church, surely they could have just been celebrating a victory. Like, yes, we got released eat it, rulers, eat it, leaders. We're the church, we're doing our thing. Like we're gonna like put these cool posts on Facebook, like guess who's cool now or whatever the thing you do. We're a church of 5,000. We have all the power. Now we're gonna use it against people. Like that's not what they do, they pray. They're kind of desperate just in their victory as much as they are in their difficult circumstance. They pray. Even in an extraordinary experience like this, Peter and John knew they were weak. They weren't like, oh yeah, we got it. Now maybe what's the next thing I'm going to lead? They knew they were weak. They needed the spirit to be to filling them to fill them. They need the resurrected Lord to work in their lives and their church so they pray. And prayer brings renewal. In a similar way to Pentecost, we see the same kind of thing. There's a crisis, there's prayer, there's empowerment. We're gonna see that over and over in Acts. Pentecost was like a, a one-time thing that we get to now live in this era of Pentecost when the spirit comes down. When, when all, in Pentecost, when all the believers were together, there is this crisis Jesus, the resurrected Lord, says he's gonna send a spirit. We don't yet have a spirit. What is going on? We need to pray. And as they pray, um, they get empowered by the spirit himself in order to live out the way that he's called them to. And this happens here. Even in their release, there's a crisis, there's prayer, there's empowerment. It's a normal cycle of life for all of us who live in this era of Pentecost. And Peter and John, they got to speak with Jesus when he was on earth, which is great. We don't have that. But in prayer, we get to speak to Jesus now, the resurrected Lord who is reigning over everything. We bring our needs before him and our biggest need being that we rely on ourselves, asking him to stop that within us and ask him to change us. So we have prayer. We also have the word uh, in a very kind of um, crazy way. They're like, what in the world just happened? How can we process this Uh They're trying to make sense of of what's going on. Do they cite political problems and solutions or like social dynamics or sociological papers? Do they read like an interesting op-ed about a declining society? No, they bring their Bibles to the situation and they bring their life to it and they're formed by what the Bible says about their mission and their situation. Their mission is the gospel, Jesus's words and work in the world. We find them in the gospels. Of course, we find it throughout the entire Bible. How can we be on God's mission though if we don't know what to say? We have to know the word more than other people do because we have to know that message in order to communicate that. The gospel is a message. And so a message requires words, requires communication. So if we don't get it, we should not expect anyone else to. There should be no expectation. God's gonna do what he's gonna do, but there should be no expectation for us, for other people to get it if we're not actually speaking those words to anybody. Now, Peter and John, their situation is one that only when in seen in light of the Bible gives them the perspective they need. They could have you know, looked at how, how are we going to possibly um, go forward, what are strategies we need to do to kind of avoid these religious leaders throwing us in jail in the future. But first, they take their situation to the Bible and they get the perspective that they need. The political and religious leaders are against them, but when viewed against the lens of Scripture, they realize they're actually set against God, and that changes circumstances. Because we're, we're not enemies with any other humans. That's just not how it is. We might feel like we are, but it's not true. The people are, have made themselves enemies of God and God is powerful over all. So we don't need to have that power over others. And that also defines, uh, changes who we define as an enemy because now anyone who's set against us is actually not an enemy of ours. We are just like them. We're all in the same boat of need of God to come through. We need Jesus. Uh, thirdly, so we have prayer, we have the word, we have community because they're not doing this separately. The church gathered together, they raise their voice together, they pray together. Peter and John are together. Even when they're thrown in prison, they're together. They're on mission together. The church raise their voice and pray together. The church could have broken up a bit. They're like, you know what? Maybe we should all simmer down, go to our own homes, let this, the dust settle a bit until the religious leaders you know, find some other kind of zealous cause to persecute and then maybe we can talk about things. Uh, or maybe Peter and John are like, guys, I just need like a night in. Like, I just need a Netflix night because this has been a crazy, I don't know, we were just in prison. I didn't know what was gonna happen. Like, we got, fl- like, flogging was on the table. Uh, maybe we could just, like, talk about things in, like, a week or two. When times are good, we celebrate and we praise God and we come together, hopefully. Maybe. When times are difficult, it's the same thing. We're called to come together and seek the Lord in all things, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Now, People doing all things together doesn't mean that they all happen to be in the same room and do the same things. The togetherness is a deeper thing than just everyone being individuals together, if that makes sense. Now I've said it before, like we're a small church, but it is easy to have our own cliques and have our own kind of people we talk to. I think it's a common thing for us to seek out people who are like us all the time. That's normal. Even in conversations on Sunday, it's very normal. But we're not called to be normal. We're called to be, in a good way, abnormal. I know some of you guys are abnormal by yourselves but a gospel-formed community doesn't look like a normal status quo community we're gonna find. We're gonna talk to people who are different from us. And then the benefit is we actually like, learn interesting things about people because they're different from us. Imagine that. Like Talking to the same people over over and over can get a little bit boring because we hear the same things over and over. The glory of the church is we have people from Different countries all the way from strange exotic America um, to strange exotic Northern Ireland. (laughs) Uh, We have all sorts of people coming from all these different, and people in different stages in life. It's, It's important for us to interact with each other so that when we do pray together, we can pray with one voice in a way that's different than people who just happen to be sat in the same room. We have the opportunity now. This is crazy. It's never been my situation before. Maybe it has been yours. You have the opportunity to literally know the story of every single person in your church, that's amazing. Let's take advantage of that. Like, if you don't know somebody, like, wow, I just want to get to know that person. And maybe you say that, and maybe that person's like, oh, that's weird, but they'll get over it as you ask them questions. Like, let's 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 use the opportunity to get to actually know people in our church. And if we live like family, like we say we want to, we're going to have conflicts. Like, they're going to happen. Like, in fact, if we're not having conflicts, that's a much bigger problem. The fact we're having conflicts is not a problem. How we resolve that conflict, we need to be bringing the word into that. I mean, do you think these 5,000 people had conflicts? Of course they did. Like, there are people who weren't all from Jerusalem either. We're gonna read stories of people who are from other countries and who have come over. they are gonna have loads of problems, 5,000 human beings and like involved trying to do one thing. Of course they had conflicts, but they had to deal with them because the mission of God in their lives actually mattered. And a life of substance means sometimes taking that first step. It might be really difficult, but it's taking that first step. Now, I find this interesting as a quote, um, from a book called uh, On Teams in the Church. Jesus predicted the church would grow, but what he prayed for was unity. That's what what God prayed for. When Jesus prays for something, I think it's kind of important. The son of God, Jesus himself, God himself prayed for unity in the church. That means it's just not going to happen by itself. Church growth, Jesus didn't really seem to have much of a problem with. In fact, he's kind of like, yeah, don't actually kind of don't really worry about it. I'm with you and you're gonna do that thing. It's the unity thing that really gets us, which is... Surely our experience, right? How many of us experience conflict in the church? Really, how many haven't? Nobody hasn't. Everyone has. And then we read stories of, of other leaders in the church that make horrible mistakes. And that's horrible. That's difficult. Conflict is gonna be unavoidable. So conflict, the British way, is to not talk about it and stuff it down. That's very much my way, by the way. Um, that's not very, the American way is just kind of be a rhino and just kind of go after it. I'm like, let's talk, the more important the thing is, let's talk around it. I wonder, maybe I should get this person's opinion, which is just your way of talking to somebody else. And maybe that person needs to pray with me about this thing. It's really just your excuse to tell somebody the story. And then all all these people know, all these people know, and then the real thing that needs to happen is you just need to talk to the person you have a conflict with. Like, that's the easiest thing. And if that doesn't work, Matthew 18 says, take somebody else with you to talk to that person. if that doesn't work, take it to the church. I'm happy to be a part of those things. It's not fun, but that's part of what it means to be a pastor. I'm happy to be part of those things. What is not okay is for us to have conflict that's unresolved and just kind of seething under the surface. That's not good for us in our own lives. That's horrible for our witness because then it means all of our energy, all of our thoughts, even our words are gonna be set towards this conflict that should be resolved. It should be reconciled instead of actually being used for God's mission in the world. So don't let that energy kind of eat us up. And I think really, I love the fact that we can live close enough to have conflicts. It's not, it's not about not having conflicts. Just when they come up, we need to aim to resolve them in the way of Jesus, not in the way of Greg, not in the way of the culture, but in the way that Jesus tells us to. Because God came to create a people, not isolated persons in a room, a people, a family. That's why we have put family on the board back there. We wanna actually be a family. And I have yet to meet a family that does not have conflict. Some are, I mean most, mine especially, completely dysfunctional. So we wanna be a functional family. And the way to be a functional family is one that deals with conflict well. If there are any questions on this, um, more than happy to talk to you or you can go to that website and submit a question if you're too afraid to put your name onto something and that's fine. Um, Okay, soapbox over. It's not really actually where the text was going but I was like conflict is an important thing for us to talk about. Lastly, action. We have prayer, we have the word, we have community. And community isn't just like a buzzword. We hear community all the time. Community is like a really close family. But also action. To follow Jesus requires us to move, to act. Following Jesus, that's a verb, like following Jesus. If we say we're Christians, it means we're actually following Jesus. Peter spoke the word of God boldly. He didn't think about the word of God boldly. He didn't learn about the word of God boldly. I mean, he did those things eventually, yeah. But he spoke the word of God. He did it boldly, he took action and then later, at the end of the story, the whole church spoke the word of God boldly. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a feeling for ourselves first, it's not a feeling for others first. It's not an experience to have. It's, it's a way to speak the word of God boldly. Who do we, we don't just speak it out to nothing. We speak it out to each other. We speak it out to people who don't know Jesus yet. And by the way, someone um, sent in a good question on this by the, related to this line that I've said a few times, that God does not demand perfection. He gives us permission um, and I'm going to include that answer in tomorrow's email because I don't have time to do it today. Sorry, I'm going to have to scroll through it. Um, but it's a really great question. They're a great questions. So if you have any, if I, anything I say, you're like, yeah, how does that really work? Feel free. Or you're like, I don't think that's true. Um, that is a great way to, answer, to um, ask those questions. And you guys get that in the email. All this to say on the action side, to condense it a bit God is delighted to work through his imperfect people for his perfect ends. He's delighted to do that. It's the way he set things up. Of course you're not perfect. Of course you're not good enough. Who's requiring that? Nobody. God gives us permission to act out of our lack, out of our weakness in order for him to be on display through us so that others will see Jesus, that others will know that we don't have it all together, that we're very ordinary. That's maybe like the most difficult part, that we're very ordinary, but also that we've been with Jesus. So we're still the feather, we're still weak, but now we have a bowling ball connected to us. We're not, we don't like transform from that feather to the bowling ball, we're still that weak feather, but now we're like rubber banded to that bowling ball and like that gets dropped into the water and the effects will always ripple outward. So God is working through you to act for, for other people you care about in your life. He is doing that now. We might be trying to hold him back from working, or maybe we're holding ourselves back from working, but he is going to work in this way. I would love to have more people here on Sundays. I would love to have more people in our MCs. I would love to have more, hear more conversations about those who, uh, that we're having about Jesus with those who aren't believers yet. I would love for our prayer life to radically inform the rest of our lives. And none of this is going to happen unless we act. We can think and we can hear all the time, but unless we act, none of it's gonna happen. Dulcimer felt really small, which is a great feeling to have. Royal Oak, not so much. I see a lot, of, a lot of chairs. It doesn't mean we're gonna like transform everything tomorrow, right? But unless we act, which is we, all of us, like you, unless we act, this, it will stay like this forever. It doesn't matter how many events we do, how many social media posts we put on. If we ourselves aren't acting, we are failing in disobedience and we're full of ourselves. Where will Charlton be shaken by God? When people prayed, the earth was Shaken. Where will Chorten's foundations be shaken by God? Where people are together, they're filled with the Spirit, and therefore they're praying, they're in the Word, they're in communion, they're taking action. That's where Chorten will be shaken. Being filled with the Spirit frees us, gives us the permission to be who God has created us to be. We are people with lives of substance. And the only way we can be with Jesus is because Jesus came to be with us. We're not good enough to reach up to heaven, so heaven had to come down to us. And Jesus, on the cross, takes on everything that holds us back, takes on everything that keeps us in that comfortable but feathery kind of life. It's all been done away with. It's not on you to gather up your courage. It's not on you to figure all the right things to say out. We have Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit. And to make sure those old lives of ours would stay dead and never return, Jesus gave himself and he said, it's finished. Full stop, it's done. And he took on the fullness of our sin the fullness of our lack, and now has been put to death through the death of Christ, which is why we celebrate this each week. Because we need to remember, we need to bring ourselves each week back to the reality that we are, are we ought not to be full of ourselves. We get to be full of the Spirit, and only through Jesus' death and resurrection is that a possibility for us. So Jesus was broken for it. Jesus' blood was poured out for it on the cross. As we remember the cross, we take these and remember the cost it took Jesus, and we also remember as we as we drink that um, drink from the cup, as we dip the, the bread in, that this is what a life of substance means. What it means to be filled by the Spirit, as much as this little tiny snack is supposed to represent a meal. Like we're, our our bodies are, are supposed to be filled with the Spirit as much as our stomachs are filled. That's a really good meal. Like we're just satisfied, we're comfortable, but not in a kind of a comfort, just deliver subway to my mouth while I'm in bed kind of way. We're comfortable because we found ourselves in the love of Jesus, found ourselves in Christ. And this table tells us that we get the blessing of being able to be with Jesus. We get to be people who've been with Jesus. The new life he won in his resurrection now gets to live in our bodies and that frees us to a life of substance for our good and for his glory. Let me pray.